Welcome into episode 20 of Shake Down the Numbers. My name is Cooper Klaus, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Thomas. Eric, how's it going? I'm good, Cooper. How are you? Good. Just trying to make sense of what we saw on Saturday, and I've been thinking a lot about it the last few days and don't know if I have a clearer picture of where this team is at, but um, other than that, doing pretty well. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure the uh, the Drew Pine fans are not too thrilled with how last weekend went, so uh, we'll have to address that one on the pod. Yeah, we tried to say that, yeah, temper expectations for him and maybe the coaches kind of saw what we were seeing initially. So um, who knows? But yeah, today we are going to recap the Notre Dame-Virginia Tech game and we have the bye week coming up. So um, probably just be a quick episode for you getting now in 20 or so minutes. Um, But yeah, let's start with uh, the game. Notre Dame won, obviously, 32-29 on Saturday against the Hokies on the road. Uh, despite saying that they weren't going to flip flop with quarterbacks, Drew Pine, uh, not Drew Pine, um, I'm forgetting all these names, but uh, Jack Cohn came in um, to start the game. Three ineffective drives, replaced by Tyler Buckner um, for the most rest of the game, and it was a tale of two halves, don't you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, obviously Buckner kind of came in early, gave us a, a quick jolt. A lot of momentum change when he first came in, especially when he hit that first deep pass down this uh, Austin on the right sideline. Um, you know, it definitely felt like, okay, there's something clicking here. Um, you could tell that the defense was a little bit confused when he first came in because he's such a different presence than Jack Cohn. But obviously the second half, we kind of saw the flip side, the inexperience. Um, you could kind of see that he's a little bit new as a passer, having only played one season of the last three. So, you know, there's a lot of growth and development to do with Buckner. Um, obviously I think it's fair to question how much of that is done. You know, he needs to do week to week to improve, uh, just getting chemistry with the receivers and understanding how deep he needs to throw passes and timing routes, things like that. And then there's the physical uh, maturing, you know, he just needs to grow up and get more familiar with, you know, what it takes to be moving at the speed of a college program, uh, be more familiar with what he can and can't do in the pocket, how much time he can take. Um, and we need to, you know, see them use a little bit more play action with his skill set as well, I think. Yeah, looking at the stats now, they only use play action. He only dropped back 14 times, which isn't that much. I mean, obviously, I think Notre Dame was at like a 68% rush rate with him in the game. Mm-hmm. It's down from what they were running at at 80%, but it was still still very high. But you did see the just, it wasn't really like the threat to pass, but just that they showed that they were willing to with him. Mm-hmm. kind of helped open up rushing lanes. It wasn't, uh, the defense was no longer just stacking the box. And I think, it seemed like the Hokies were a little unprepared for it as well. I don't know why, but the first few drives he was in, it seemed like it seemed to be working pretty well. But yeah, they only used play action twice on his 14 dropbacks for a 14% rate, which again makes no sense at all when you're going to go with a very run heavy offense uh, with Buckner in the game. Uh, just another kind of questionable decision by, um, by Tommy Reese there. But yeah, it was. I think I overreacted after the first half. I was like, I posted a tweet that said TB12 has arrived. He was rocking like a 0.65 EPA per drop back and 0.67 per rush. And then uh, that came crawling back to her through two picks in the second half, three turnover worthy plays. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's clear that 
he wasn't playing for a reason. I don't think he's like ready yet as a passer and the coaches were right. And it made sense why they were going so run heavy in his packages. It still doesn't make sense to use him against the number five team in the country in those packages. When, if you're trying to ease him in, like some people on Twitter were trying to tell me and just, that doesn't make sense. But um, (laughs) yeah, the rushing upsides there, 0.32 EPA per rush, 55% success rate. Just like, that's actually like unbelievable for a player overall, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, I, I don't know what to think with him because I I don't know if he should. I think he's gonna get some, like some more playing time, like significant playing time. Is he ready for that yet? Should they be looking to? I don't know if they can blow out teams though, but like looking to get him some time in mop up duty and let him run the offense and get more comfortable. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he obviously needs to get more time developing and just get experience passing the ball. I think a big part of that is gonna come in how they prepare him week to week. Um, a big, you know common and that or big commonality excuse me in college football is for the starter to get the lion's share of the reps throughout the week especially the passing reps for tyler buckner i'm sure they drilled his package they talked about it on the broadcast that they had been made aware that they were going to keep using the buckner package so obviously they're working with him on the option stuff and he was as you said really successful in it um the passing stuff he shows you know some strengths especially he had a few throws that throw to austin stands out i think he had that throw was it to avery davis in the middle of the field uh, where he kind of threw that shallow post. Um, so, I mean, he showed a little bit of arm strength and some touch and some passes. He's obviously shown the ability to throw off different platforms when he threw that screen to Chris Tyree a few games back. Um, so, I, you know, I, I definitely think that there's potential there, and you can see why the coaches are excited about him and why the whispers are coming out. But, you know, I, I think there's two sides. He needs to be a more consistent passer. He needs to get the timing and rhythm down. And I think especially what we saw in the second half is they were trying to get him some easy throws, uh, but they weren't doing a lot of play action. They weren't doing a lot of motion. So even if they were easy concept throws, like comebacks, curls, a few drags that he missed, like that stuff might be easy concept wise, but unless you create motion around that, create movement around that to make those throws a little bit wide open, you're running a risk with Tyler Buckner at your quarterback. So um, it's a little bit difficult to say exactly how he should be used, but during the week is the biggest change you need to make. Um, and then obviously, you know, we need to see how viable is Tyler Buckner if he's going to be in that same package we've seen if they're going to have Jack Cohn handle the passing. Yeah, he had uh, a, still a 40% success rate, so success rate defined as plays with positive EPA. So that's, that's still low, but that isn't um, devastatingly so, where it is encouraging that even though – he had some pretty significant negatives um, on the tape. It wasn't a complete write-off from a passing standpoint. And yeah, like you were saying about motion, um, Tommy Reese just doesn't like to use kind of modern concepts, it seems like. Their their name ran uh, 69 plays. Um, nice, by the way, against Virginia <laughs> Tech. <laughs> didn't use motion on 50 of them. Only uh, 19 plays used motion. It didn't work that well at all really the both um, pre-snap and at the snap motion were negative epa um, very low success rates but the reason that's low is just one you're only calling it on a very low sample if you increase the sample size there and get more creative um, that naturally will increase and then the the play action is just it, it goes back to last year it doesn't doesn't make sense so yeah like you were saying like to your point mm-hmm. On deep throws, Buckner was two for three, um, 83 yards. Again, small sample, but 70.1 PFF grade, like solid deep ball um, showing. And he's only three for nine uh, from zero to 19 yards. There are a couple drops in there too, but um, I think that speaks to your point where they're just not making it easy for him, not making it easy to create throwing lanes 
a lot of his throws came on third down as well. The two interceptions as well as the dropped interception came on third downs. And I think they were all like pretty long five, eight. The last one was like 20 or something after the um, weird penalty. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I don't think Tommy Reese as of now, like from what we've seen is a guy who elevates his offense and can make the, some of the parts greater than its whole. Wait, is that the saying? <laughs> greater than the sum of its parts. Greater than this. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy Reese is getting paid the big bucks. He should be expected to. So, um, yeah, I don't, how do you feel about him so far? Um, the kind of luster of being the former, um, starting quarterback turned OC story seems to be wearing off and people are, starting to become a little more frustrated and antsy with him in particular. I think that there's a lot of growth that Tommy needs to go through. Um, Obviously it's a little bit hamstrung with the personnel group this year. Um, You know, the offensive line not being as dominant in bully ball as it was the last couple of years. It's a little bit of a different philosophy shift when you just, you can't lean on that. You don't even have the option to lean on that. You know, I think when we looked at the use of motion as well, I don't have the exact numbers on how many motions were, you know, this type, but Reviewing it back, there was a lot of motions that were tight ends shifting from one end of the line to the other on some of the run plays. And like, as good as that is for letting Tyler Buckner maybe know like, okay, this is man coverage or not. At the end of the day, when you're running a triple option and you have six, seven, eight guys in the box and you motion a tight end from one side to the other, you still have the same number of guys in the box. So you haven't changed the fundamental difference of the play. You haven't affected the cause change that you want to do there. So, you know, it's, there's definitely some growth. I think we talked about it last week, but doing motion out of the two running back sets and using those guys to get out wide and maybe split a guy with speed like Tyree or, um, you know, an explosive dynamic uh, guy who can break tackles like Kyron Williams out, get a linebacker out in space and out of the box. And then if you want to run, you can, but otherwise you have another playmaker outside because clearly they're effective. Um, One of my biggest takeaways from this game is that it was really encouraging. Not only the, you know, overall EPA per play of the wide receivers, like Kevin Austin was at 1.23 a play and Braden Lindsay was 1.06, but targeting Kyron Williams was at 0.51 and Logan Diggs was 0.8 per play. So obviously there's, I mean, the Diggs one is a low sample size, but obviously they have success when targeting those guys and moving. So the difference now becomes how do we create, especially with the success that we have with moving those guys or using those guys as receiving targets, excuse me, how do we move them around? and use them as a little bit better chess pieces to create situations that Tyler Buckner is comfortable with, or that create a lane for Tyler Buckner to stop running for seven yards. And maybe he can pop it for 12, 15, because we're actually vacating guys out of the box. I think that's the next evolution of the motion uh, and the play action stuff that Tommy needs to take to, you know, really elevate this team forward, especially with, you know, Buckner having some growth to do. Tommy needs to grow with him. You can't just assume that he's going to elevate to the level you need. You need to meet him at the level he's at and grow from there. Yeah, I think you made a great point about motion helping get your quarterback some more information as well. Mm-hmm. That's a very underrated point. And just to explain that a little further, the idea is you can just send out a running back at the receiver position on the boundary and just motion him back in and see if any defenders follow him. And that's a clue for the quarterback, whether that's man or zone coverage. And it just gives them an additional information before the snap that of what they should be expecting after the ball's, um, ball's snapped and the, when they're going through their reads especially for a, a young quarterback who has missed a full year of football towards ACL his sophomore year of high school a few years ago is still very, very green. That that can be so critical just for helping him 
I don't think it elevates his play like by like 10, 15%, but it just makes it easier for him once again. It's just like what we keep going back to is just make it as easy for po- as possible for him so he can kind of hit the ground running and can mm-hmm. kind of improve more rapidly as he, so he doesn't have to like worry about so many different um, pieces of information on a play. He can just, okay, I know this. I, I know it's manner zone. I, um, I'm going to have an open lane on this play because of this motion here. What, whatever. It just makes his job a lot easier as a player and it can help uh, progress him over the next two, three years in this offense where he's by the time um, a few years from now, he could be one of the best quarterbacks in football, but you have to start. It doesn't have to be, be basic or like with the training wheels on, but just, just, and it doesn't have to be like a strip it down. We're only going to call a handful of plays, but just use these concepts where it makes it easier for your players. Cause once you get the elite players too, mm-hmm. that it still works with them. It just takes the, um, raises the ceiling even further of the offense. So, yeah, I mean, we have a pretty dynamic group of young receivers. Obviously the pick six was actually thrown on the pass. I think it was to Dion Colsey. So yep. freshman to freshman there, kind of a failed connection, but I mean, when you're breaking Buckner into this and getting, just getting his feet wet to kind of get experience, you want to be able to grow that chemistry. So stuff like that is how you roll the dice. So, you know, you have to be a little bit more aware and like, okay, how comfortable is Tyler Buckner throwing a comeback against tight coverage? You know, is he going to be able to make the read and the decision-making that if his first read's not there, is he comfortable enough in the passing concepts not to go there? You know, there's there's some questions you have to kind of ask yourself as when you're in Coach Arisha's shoes and kind of just be like, all right, like, how do we elevate Tyler Buckner's game or realistically, do we have to take a step back with him until he gets, you know, a little bit more experience in the passing game and practice until he gets a little more comfortable just with the physical side of what that looks like in college? Um, and we need to rely on Jack Cohn. Um, obviously, you know, Drew Pine played pretty well against Wisconsin. People were clamoring for him. Clearly, there's something behind the scenes that we're not seeing in terms of either his practice productivity or what Jack Cohn showed at the end of the Virginia Tech game. Maybe he's showing that sort of consistency in two minute and other situations in practice because he's just, it seems like he's not competitive to get on the field now if they want to move with Buckner. And I think if you're going to make that choice to go full bore with Buckner, you may as well try to make that now. Yeah, I think we talked about last week um, some accuracy concerns with Pine, and it was a small sample, but he was basically going to have to improve from the absolute floor of college quarterbacks and Mm-hmm. I doubt that's his true ability. He was so just for context here, he was around 150th in adjusted completion percentage and 130th in completion percentage out of basically 150 and 130 quarterbacks. So some like accuracy, not red flags, but I would say pretty big caution flags out there for him. But my guess is why they'd rather go with Buckner or Cone is Cone has Cone is clearly the best passer on the team. Mm-hmm. That hasn't changed after last week, obviously, and he's the most accurate, um, can throw a, a solid deep ball is pretty good in between, um, in the middle range of the field from 10 to 19 as well, mm-hmm. just doesn't have the mobility. And then Buckner gives you the elite level athleticism at the quarterback position where he might not be there as a thrower, but he gives you the other end of the spectrum where you can be, I, I don't like it personally, but you can be the very run heavy team. that I'm sure Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese love to love to be. So I, I my guess is that's how, that's why Pine's out of the mix there, but let's give some quick credit to Jack Cohn. He had struggled early. He took some bad sacks. Pocket awareness still is a problem, mm-hmm. but 0.14 EPA per play. 
at 53% success rate, only an eight out of 6.9. Notre Dame would have two losses by now if it wasn't for him. So credit to him and I credit to myself too, because it was a quick passing game. That is why those uh, two drives worked. And that's what I was saying. Like if he's under center, you have to use quick passing. So you don't have to worry about his pocket awareness. Just get the ball out quick. But Mm -hmm. it's something I think, I think the coaches just need to learn still. And they just, I think, we were talking earlier offline before we started recording that there's just some lack of trust with each guy at the position cone being his pocket awareness and presence Tyler with and Buckner with his, um, with his arm talent. And I think pine just overall, my guess is I don't think decision-making cause he's hasn't made like that many bad decisions. My guess is accuracy is without mm-hmm. knowing really what the answer is with him. I guess his accuracy concerns are what's keeping him off the field, especially with, all three quarterbacks kind of having big question marks and pines are maybe a little bit less publicly understood. But when you look at the breakdown for the decision, the coaches have to make effectively what question marks are, are what are you willing to gamble with in terms of negative plays? Jack Cone will take sacks that are just dumb. Like they just shouldn't be a fifth year senior shouldn't be taking these sacks, but Tyler Buckner is going to release some throws that are going to make you kind of want to pull your hair out. So it's your margin for risk. And I think what Drew Pine offers and his mobility that's better than Jack's, but significantly worse than Tyler's and his a bit of, you know, he's a bit of a scattershot accuracy, but he's got a weaker arm than both cone or Tyler Buckner. Yeah. So when you're looking at his potential to elevate instead of just have detriments or negative plays, I think the coaches are probably making the gamble that look, Jack Cone's going to take some stupid sacks, but he's going to be able to push the ball vertically in a way that Drew Pine's not going to give us the opportunity to do. Um, and I think you could probably say the same for Tyler Buckner at this point. He might not be the most accurate quarterback in the world, but if Drew Pine's also going to have issues with accuracy that make you question, or if he has issues with decision-making in practice that are making you question, why wouldn't you gamble on the guy with the higher upside that you think is going to be able to elevate your offense and effectively you know, improve your running game and act in this game as your primary running game? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, a level of risk management for the coaches and, uh, my guess would be they assume that Pine offers the the lowest overall upside, even if maybe he's not as overwhelmingly detrimental as some of these big pick sixes or uh, you know negative plays for sacks that Cone has done. Yeah, let's talk about the defense quick. Marcus Freeman, man, I I just I don't know what to say anymore. It's just every week is just consistent, and you know what you're gonna get. And it's mm-hmm. again not elite yet because we don't have the elite level talent at the the important positions yet. I said it before the season, he's going to make people forget about Clark Lee. And it looks like that's kind of coming true. No one is since Florida state, no one has mentioned Clark Lee, like the whole big play fiasco, like mm-hmm. um, since ever since then, no one's really worried about it. And like the big plays are still a vulnerability, but that's the, I think that's a trade off with the style of defense he plays where it's so aggressive. It's playmaking. It's we're going to go attack you. Yeah. I think I, I just don't know what to say. They're, they're awesome against the run. They don't, they don't worry about, loading up the box they're comfortable stopping the opponent with one less guy or just the same number of guys in the boxes uh, the opponent has blockers and the secondary i i don't even think there's like an elite other than kyle obviously I don't, there's not like an elite level player or even like a someone you would say is like close to all american caliber but they're all they've all been solid and they've all been mm-hmm. very effective out there this week alone negative 0.22 EPA per play allowed on throws over 20 yards, 0.04 from 10 to 19. And they forced 17 of what is it, 30 completions to be, or attempts 
to be at the zero to nine yard depth. If you're when you're funneling everything to the middle of the field, you're doing you're doing pretty well. You're doing something right. And um, yeah, I I don't know what to say because it's just been it's it's the same story every week. So it's like it's hard to like think of something new to say about them. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just the elevation, especially of kind of the back end of the roster, not the back end, but like the the two and three deep. Like we, we talked about before the year, there was major questions at pretty much every position but D-line. And the D-line guys who have rotated in have consistently impressed. We have seen linebacker attrition that the first game, it looked like we may not be able to field a roster with linebackers on it throughout the course of the season. And I mean, there hasn't been a significant decline. They've gotten guys to come in and perform well uh, at that position. Now, obviously, that's kind of the position that they're hiding in the defense. They're letting those guys attack downhill, and they're letting the defensive line do their work. But they're making it work. Uh, if you have a guy like J.D. Bertrand who needs to grow a little bit and when he's moving backwards, but he can move downhill fast, they're finding a way to utilize that guy and make him effective. Um, and then you look at in the secondary. I mean, obviously, Kyle Hamilton is just ridiculous, but – guy like DJ Brown has really stepped up and been a valuable player. Houston Griffith is put, producing his best season in Notre Dame. Cam Hart is a, trend, or a transitioned wide receiver who's playing well. Uh, Clarence Lewis has some issues with the deep pass, but overall has been playing pretty well. And, I mean, let's talk about Tariq Bracey, man. That guy was down and barely a factor, and it looked like he was just going to be riding the bench moving forward, maybe even a transfer candidate with how low he was at the end of last season. And he's come in and played pretty well at nickel. Um, He doesn't always collapse down as fast as he could, but he just got his first career interception. He's able to make contact with guys pretty quickly after receptions and is not letting up a ton of yards after the catch. So um, overall, it's just a a really solid growth by that group. Um, I mean, you look at the EPA per play of the Virginia Tech team, man, and there's only of the, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people who had rushing EPA uh, produced a rushing play only two of them were even positive on their EPA per play. So, I mean, they threw just about everything they could at us in the run game, which is how Virginia Tech likes to move the ball, and Notre Dame handled it. Um, I mean, even Braxton Burmeister ended up with a negative EPA per play, despite having that, obviously, the biggest running play of the game when he broke contain and got into the end zone at the end of uh, the fourth quarter. So um, it's just a really impressive group. I think that the way that they get pressure and the way that they – kind of move guys around to create pressure from different points really allows them to get into an attacking mentality. That's, you know, Clark Lee was a great coach, but this defense is a little bit more fun to watch because it seems like they kind of dictate the terms more than let it come to them. Yep. It's the bend don't break. I have a, I don't even know if I would call it a love hate relationship because they don't really love it, but it works. But I think it's frustrating because if you don't have, you have to rely so much on getting a stop closer to your end zone rather than, bringing the game to the opponent and I'd always, yeah, I, I think just when you're able to dictate the game on your own terms, rather than trying to basically just not allow touchdowns, mm-hmm. I think that's a very fine line you're walking in terms of if it doesn't work, it could go very bad because you're already giving up so many yards and you're giving up so much of the field to the op- opponent just to try and stop them. And let's say an opponent has like nine, about nine drives per game, right? If you give up two big plays and you stop them on, five of the other six drives per game, that's a very good mm-hmm. performance. And then the big plays are something that usually it's just a breakdown in terms of tackling. It's a breakdown in terms of your run fit or in coverage. And those things can be fixed where if you're willing to be very scheme disciplined and very timely in terms of your your coverages, your blitzes and stuff like that, 
which I think Freeman has. He's not a, a heavy, heavy blitzer. And he understands like start to stop the pass mm-hmm. first and when to kind of add additional resources to the run. It's just, it's not a breath of fresh air because Clark Lee was good, but it's, it's nice to see kind of the defense go out and trying to not really get the ball every time, but really just kind of shut down the opponent rather than see, seeing if we can get a stop closer to our end zone. So kind of to your point, like think of the second half when Virginia Tech threw that interception. Uh, was it to Drew White? Uh, he took it back pretty far, got him, got us into Virginia Tech territory to start the next drive for Tyler Buckner, and that drive culminated in a touchdown for Kyron Williams. Especially when you have a young quarterback, like you want to be able to dictate the terms of the game and get as many short fields as possible. And when you can steal possessions and turn that into a short field for your young quarterback, I mean that's just going to be a great way for you to create positive outcomes for him. Um, it's a little bit more difficult for a young guy like that to keep sustaining drives and keep seeing the different looks and try to have to do things from, you know, inside their own territory. If, you know, you go bend, don't break and they miss a field goal or they make the field goal and they kick off and you're at your own 25. That's a very different circumstance. Now, obviously you're not always going to be successful. Like you talked about, you're going to give up some big plays. They're going to sometimes get towards the red zone. That's going to happen. It's football. But when you can consistently try and get them to be punting from inside their own territory or create turnovers that are getting you into opponent territory to start your offense, you just have so much higher success rate of like, what can we do here? What are our options? Um, especially when you have as you know athletic players as Notre Dame does, and that's only going to get you know to a higher margin. We have some really, really awesome athletes coming in, especially on offense. Um, you want to make sure that you're running as few things as possible and kind of just getting those quick scores off those turnovers and that'll get some momentum for your young quarterback. Yeah. And it's not something that you can necessarily like rely on as a core tenant of your team mm-hmm. turnovers, just being kind of highly variable, but from a game, from a game to game standpoint, if you're able to steal a possession here or there, especially if you're playing a tougher team, a higher ranked team, like if you're able to just steal a possession in a game and just make it easier, it take, it takes some pressure off your quarterback. Like you're saying, and your young guys, you don't have to rely on scoring so many long touchdown drives if you're able to kind of flip the field like that. And again, it's not something you want to uh, rely on. You don't want to have an offense that can only score when they only have to go down the field like 40 yards or so. But if you're able to take the, it just makes it a lot easier on your, on your team and your offense when they don't have that pressure, if you're able to get one or two every game, every other game or so, um, but yeah, it, I, think, I think you just have a better chance with this style of defense than you did with Clark Lee of accomplishing that goal. Yeah, and especially like you talked about, we don't blitz at the highest rate, but when you're still able to get pressure at a pretty high clip, I mean, we saw it in the Florida State game when they were flushed, they were throwing interceptions to Kyle Hamilton. Um, we've seen it kind of throughout the season where we get there and we cause guys to make mistakes just because they're on the run. And sometimes it's off a four-man rush. I mean, it's not necessarily something that they're always going to throw the pick. Your guy's not always going to catch it. Um, Virginia Tech learned that their guys aren't always going to catch it in the course of this game. But like you said, it's when you can do that one, two times a game, it's not only backbreaking for the offense, but it can really be a, you know, a massive momentum swing for your side as well. Um, especially when you got young guys who are just looking, dying to get in the end zone. Yeah. Like Braxton Burnmeister, for example. So in this game, he was pressured on 40% of dropbacks. That's an insanely good performance from the defensive line. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame only blitzed 34% of the time. It's a little high. So Freeman is a little bit um, – he's not blitz happy. I think he might be like slightly above average. I have, mm-hmm. I'd have to check the numbers. But he's not like someone who's only able to, to get pressure out of his team if they blitz. So like 10 of the 14 pressures they had on the day came on non-blitzed, uh, non-blitzes. So – and then – 
just to your point of how pressure can infect a quarterback. So Notre Dame, the one interception came under pressure, but also when Burmeister was kept clean, he was 11 for 20. Again, he's not like that great of a quarterback, so keep that in mind. But 11 for 20, 55% completion rate, 6.9 yards per attempt. Under pressure, that dropped to 4 of 10 for 4.7 yards. And he also took a sack. And five throwaways as well under pressure. So you the point of pressure isn't necessarily to kind of get an interception every time, and you just can't mm-hmm. rely on that. But when you're able to force so many negative plays over and over again, it just – it puts yourself in a way better position offensively because you're forcing punts quicker earlier and earlier in drives, like we were saying. And um, yeah, you, you give yourself a better shot of, of getting those short fields, getting those turnovers where you don't want to rely on turnovers, but if you can create turnover opportunities that will, let me explain this a little bit. So you, you can't rely on converting, catching every single interceptable pass that comes your way recovering every single fumble Mm -hmm. but you can create more of those opportunities so like those numbers will regress towards 50 percent over the long over the larger sample but if you're able to increase the opportunities you can get more turnovers and that's where i think freeman's defense kind of separates itself from lee's where you're able to create more of those turnover opportunities where you're not gonna be able to convert a high percentage but you'll be able to convert more if that makes sense exactly yeah i mean i look at it kind of I guess, opposite concept from the offense that we talk about. Like when you're on offense, you kind of want to play to avoid third down to be the most successful that you can be. When you're going for opportunities like this, and especially when you're able to create pressure, just rushing four, or even in some cases rushing three, like that's a tremendous amount of negative play opportunity that you're able to affect change on the game. And so when you can cause like Braxton Burmeister to get uncomfortable and roll out on first and 10 and just toss the ball away, well, shoot, that's second and 10 that's the same as a bad running play. Um, So for the defensive side, it's just being able to affect change on the offense enough that it kind of puts them out of their rhythm. Um, And I think that you can tell Marcus Freeman is very much committed to the idea that offenses like to run in rhythm and we are going to do whatever we can to get them off that. Yep, exactly. All right, to wrap up here, I just want to do a quick discussion over there was a key fourth down play in this game that really – really swung Notre Dame's way Mm -hmm. and just want to talk through it and kind of explain why it was so important. So the end of the game, Notre Dame had just tied it 29, 29 Virginia tech goes first and 10 incomplete pass second and 10 incomplete pass and third and 10 Burmeister scrambles for nine yards to their, their 27. So Virginia tech's 27 Notre Dame calls a timeout kind of a questionable move if Virginia tech was smart here. So the reason being this is a, a clear go situation for Virginia Tech. So the reason being, they had two timeouts remaining in this game. Notre Dame had one left at this point because they just called their second one. They had about uh, a 74% chance of succeeding, of converting the fourth down based on the model our friend Jared Lee has built. And the win probability gain by going for it was about 10% or so. So it was one of the biggest plays of the game, just this fourth down alone. They gave up 10% win probability. So they went from about 60%. I think it was like they were at like a 55 or 60% chance of winning to by the time they punted, they were at like 40 something. So they, they had immediately just given up um, the likelihood of winning the game. Why going for it and not getting it was not a concern there. It's not concerning is one, there were two minutes left in the game. They have two timeouts. So the first option is to stop Notre Dame on the first set of downs and you call both timeouts. Notre Dame runs it down to about a minute, 10 kicks the field goal, a minute, five left. So either they miss the field goal 
and you get the ball back from where they started, or you have a minute left with a timeout in hand to go get the tying field goal. Plenty of time, plenty of time. Or if Notre Dame converts a first down, you can let them score, or you can let them score immediately as well. So you had options to give yourself another opportunity to score. By punting, you're basically playing for overtime and hoping Notre Dame either doesn't convert or misses the field goal. And this is immediately following the drive where Cohn basically just kind of sliced and diced his way down the field. So what were you thinking during that game? Because immediately I was thinking if they punt this, they're punting away the chance of winning this game, at least in regulation. Yeah, I mean, I was cheering. Uh, I was very excited when they punted. Um, (laughs) You know, I think to kind of give context, I think the main things that Justin Fuente were probably thinking was one, I think the interception by Tariq Bracey kind of came up in his mind. They obviously were not having a ton of success running the ball. Um, early in the game, they were having some pretty good success with like comebacks and underneath routes, especially under the nickel. Tariq Bracey was getting tackles, you know, right after the catch, but he was giving up four five, six yard catches. That was the game plan. So once he was able to break down and get that pick on the sideline, I wonder if there was some hesitation, uh, to call a similar play like that and with how badly the running game was going really up to that point, other than one scramble. I just, I wonder if he second guessed. The other thing that came to mind was I wonder, like, even though Cohen had literally 10 seconds, 15 seconds before had just sliced and diced them, I wonder if after the first three drives, he said, okay, our defense knows how to handle this guy. Like, we don't have to worry. He's not going to do that again. What are the odds he's going to come down and slice us again and get him in field goal position or touchdown again? And he rolled the dice. Um, It's a bad gamble. It's not one I would make, uh, especially not when, you know, Notre Dame has pretty clearly the momentum at that point and just kind of, show that your defense is gassed but that's kind of the only that's the only what i can really think of what was going through his mind because otherwise it's just like what did you did justin fuente have money on notre dame like what happens <laughs> yeah i the th- if you punt too and punt so um our friend jared also put out a chart um today recording tuesday uh that Virginia Tech has given up the most win probability per game of any team in the ACC it's like 20% per game so like they've played what are they three and two now they've given up a full game just on fourth down decisions alone that's how critical these decisions can be they add up over time Mm -hmm. so um the only thing i could like if you're gonna punt you have to be hyper 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 aggressive on defense and trying to go for turnovers and being willing to give up the big play hoping notre dame scores a touchdown so you have time to answer at the end Mm -hmm. because notre dame basically kind of did exactly showed exactly why punting was the worst decision possible here. This is the worst case scenario where you just don't have time to do anything when you get the ball back, which is um, they got the ball back with Nuriam kicked the field goal, 17 seconds left. They got the ball back with six seconds left in the game. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't have, you just can't afford to do that to yourself. You, you always want to, at least in my mind, I would always want my offense to be the last, if in a close game, be the one that's dictating the results of the game. I'd want my quarter, the ball in my quarterback's hand. So I don't have to, it's not that like a lack of trust in your defense, but always trying to get the last score. I think is so critical. If you can uh, stop your opponent, prevent them from having an opportunity to answer that. That's just, I think coaches don't see how valuable, valuable that is in the course of a game, because if you're able to succeed, like, I don't know how to, be, how to put this. Cause it's, it's, well, I think I think you're kind of just going off the idea that like it's it's like dictating the outcome. Um, yeah. So if you keep that ball, if you go for on fourth 
in that situation. You either keep the ball and continue to have possession, which means you are in control of the eventual outcome of the game in that high leverage situation. Ball's in your hands. Whereas by punting, you're immediately saying, we're going to give our opponents at the cost of, you know, for their opportunity cost, they're going to have worse field position. We are going to allow them the opportunity to dictate the outcome of the game. Um, and we're going to trust our defense to stop that. At that point in the game, like, if you go for it on fourth, especially with college kickers, Doer has missed some kicks this year. Obviously, he had a great game with the 48-yarder. But you can try to dictate those terms because your worst result outcome is the same thing that ended up happening. But at the very least, you put an opportunity in your team's hands to dictate the terms of the last two minutes of the game. What Fuente did was punt that responsibility to Notre Dame, and they capitalized. Now, would Fuente have necessarily been able to capitalize? No, but when your result of outcomes is more likely to lose, just like objectively, more likely to lose the game when you punt the ball, especially like your biggest home game of the year, you're that close, you're that in it, and for a guy like Fuente who needs a win like that to save his his job, like, man, I, I just don't understand how you, you just put the ball in the other team's court and say, all right, let the game come to us. We'll figure it out. I, yeah. That's a little bit of fear in your playmakers. Yeah, they, the model doesn't account for team strength as well, but when you're operating from a baseline of 74% chance of converting, you'd have to have the worst playmakers in the world to make that a situation where punting makes mm-hmm. sense. Because you're already at a plus 10, like 10.4% gain and win probability just by going for it, let alone if you get it or not. Making the decision, the decision gains you on average 10.4% win probability, but... Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think he's just, he just doesn't know the, he doesn't understand the, like the, the math behind it, like the risk reward, mm-hmm. um, trade-off that exists there and learning benefit benefited it from it greatly. And I don't think Kelly's like that great of a fourth down decision maker either, but he's very much in the middle of the pack. And Fuente was no, there was a good possibility. Notre Dame could be four and two right now. Like, that, oh, that's yeah. the reason we're talking about this is because Virginia tech gave, not a second life because they were it was tie it was a tie game, but basically gave Notre Dame a way better opportunity of uh, making it, making it out of Blacksburg with a win, and mm-hmm. um, that's why that that play was so critical. And also, if the roles were reversed, we're hoping Notre Dame would make a similar play. If you can stop your opponent from getting another opportunity to score, and the, li- the likelihood of converting was so high, like it's it's a perfect situation to go. Basically, what it boils down to is yeah, and no. I- one last point on that. I mean, there was a, a chart that I think you retweeted during the week, and it was, did we really get beat that bad? And it was net success rates of plays or uh, for opponents, just like in each game. And Notre Dame was at a little bit over 0.1, and Virginia Tech was a little bit under zero. And like it was one of the biggest disparities of the weekend. So like when you look at reality, I mean, that game was and Notre Dame made some really bad plays in big moments. The pick six, probably the worst of them, or is the worst of them. But that being said, overall, like the Hokies did not dictate the terms of that game. Notre Dame controlled it in terms of success rate, play in and play out. And Justin Fuente still had an opportunity for his squad at the end of that game to come out with a win, despite having really lucky plays or some really uh, statistically significant or changing plays, you know what I mean? High variance plays. Yeah. High variance plays. Yeah. Despite kind of relying on those to be in the game, they had the opportunity. So when you're in that situation where you're kind of getting your ass kicked throughout the course of the game and you got to rally and get back and you have a chance to win, you need to make the right decisions 
And I think the reason why Justin Fuente is on the hot seat every year is because he consistently doesn't. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, maybe they got jaded by the betting line, thinking they were the favorite, they're the better team. Um, I, the betting line made no sense to me. There's a reason Jack and I are undefeated <laughs> in the money line. And um, there you go. at least in my case, I'm what five and one against the spread after the, since missing on the first week. So um, yeah, like Notre Dame had a, in the second half alone, Notre Dame had a 56% success rate passing 48% rushing. I don't know what you saw in the, in your defense that made you think yeah, like if you're going to go off of like the confidence of your defense, mm-hmm. what the last few drives alone should tell you like, uh, we should be very worried about Notre Dame's ability to drive down the field. They're kind of moving, not at will, but like pretty easy on a play-by-play basis. And like the EPA numbers are going to be a little bit jaded with passing, especially just because of Buckner's interceptions. But even if you're going to look at it from a non-data, non-statistical perspective, the only reason the decision makes sense is because it was on your own side of the field. And even then, that's just playing scared and conservative, which is funny from like, the football men hashtag football men talking about being tough and being fearless. And they're scared of not, they don't trust their team that their team can get one yard. It's just, it's the funniest thing to me. Yeah. Every, every single time. Like why not just look, you could lose, but you're probably going to lose. They ended up losing anyway. Just like, yeah, go, go steal one from Notre Dame. Like just, just figure out two what time you out. need to do. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you had two timeouts, let them score. If you miss it and you just get the ball yeah. back again and have a chance to tie it. Like it, the, the situation was not dire. If you miss it, like it, yeah, there was too much time for Notre Dame where punting made sense there. Mm-hmm. If, if if there were like 20 seconds or so, you punt for sure because you don't want to miss that and give Notre Dame a field goal chance right off the bat. But with two minutes left and two timeouts, you had time to remedy the situation, whether either stopping Notre Dame on the first set of downs or letting them score a touchdown, do what the Browns did against the Chargers too the next day and just push them into the end zone. Yeah. If you have to, it's just so you get the ball back and have a chance to tie. Well, when we talked about range of outcomes, like a very probable one in that situation was they convert that fourth down. And then based on how they'd played in the second half, they stall out later in midfield or when they just get into Notre Dame territory. And that's fine. Even if that's the way that draft or that draft, that drive goes, you punt from the 50 or you punt from Notre Dame's 40 instead. That is way higher success rate in terms of stopping Notre Dame from coming down the other side. But you yeah, punted you from like a minute your 19. The, <laughs> and you take a minute off the clock too. That's the most valuable thing there. Where exactly. So you just get rid of all the time that Notre Dame has in their in their favor in the what, after you punted. You get rid of all that time, so it's less likely that they'll be able to drive down the field. So and you're more it's, likely to make Notre Dame use that last timeout. I mean, there's just every range of outcomes that gives you the best chance to win was just big circle on go for on fourth and Justin Fuente was just like I pretend I do not see it <laughs> like I'm not yeah. doing it <laughs> yeah oh man left left points on the table there but hey mm-hmm. uh we're not complaining so <laughs> um <laughs> yeah this was fun uh thanks for listening everyone check us out on twitter at nd underscore fb underscore analytics and at onefootdown.com for um we do some full recaps and re- uh, previews of every game there so Thanks for listening, and as always, go Irish.